to humans leading humans towards the future of work that works for people. A smorgasbord of snackable stories to help you be a more effective leader. Today's guest is the wonderful Debbie Vavangas, who is the global lead for Garage at IBM, who is, believe me, 100% human and 100% imaginal leader. She's a pleasure of a woman and a powerhouse who is so much more about their absolute yes and how than yes, but. And I know that you're going to absolutely love her stories. But before we meet Debbie, and in the interest of thinking out loud, I guess, a few people have asked me why I'm only interviewing leaders from big, complex companies. So I feel like I should just share my thinking on that. I think we can all agree, especially this week, that the world is going through some pretty major changes. And I believe that we're at a crossroads. I think that we need to change the way that we're doing business. And I think that transformational, courageous leadership has never been so important as it is right now. Now, I'm committed to leaving the world in a better place than when I arrived. I think we all should be. And I think that we should all be looking for our own way to do that. So my personal story, I worked at the UN for a while and I learned a lot about how those organizations work from the inside. I genuinely don't believe that change can be driven at the speed we need by governments and international organizations. They're just not set up for speed yet. Companies, on the other hand, employ a lot of people. Leaders at the top of those corporates impact the lives of a lot of people. They influence a lot of people. They influence the way that a lot of people feel and believe and behave. And so my thesis is this, if we can prove beyond reasonable doubt that creating environments in which people thrive, not survive, leads to significant commercial impact that these corporates can drive change much, much quicker than governments. And let's be honest, if you look at things from a different lens, corporates are only just big global distributed networks of human beings, wonderful, irrational, creative, innovative human beings, many of who are stuck in cultures under leaders where they're not empowered, they're not rewarded, they're not recognized. They're stuck in cultures which suck their very humanity from them. They're actually disincentivized from innovating, from taking initiative. So I've decided that I will focus my energy on supporting leaders from big corporates to support positive people-powered change at scale. As the phenomenal Martin, and I loved last week's show, said in last week's show, the data is all there to prove that leaders that nurture, create environments are far, far, far more successful. Empathetic companies, he said, are twice as successful as non-empathetic companies. The data's all there. 
But here's the thing, the human brain is hardwired to only see the data that supports our own picture of reality. Stories, on the other hand, real, lived, textural, authentic stories of real humans having real experiences have a very different impact on our brains and therefore on our bodies and the way that we feel and act. Because we feel stories, we want to share stories. So, <clears throat> off the soapbox. So, my guest today is Debbie, who is on the exec team of IBM. She's been at IBM since she left university. IBM employs hundreds of thousands of humans. IBM impacts the way that thousands of companies work. Now, she could be that stereotypical corporate leader, and you know exactly what I mean without having to say it. But she is absolutely not. She is 100% empathetic, ambitious, entrepreneurial, positive, collaborative human. And that's what this podcast is about, collecting real, authentic stories from leaders who do not and will not lose their humanity to lead and will do everything in their power to empower their teams to be the best they can be so that they can bring their whole selves to work. So before I introduce you to Debbie, I just, as always, want to say a massive, massive thanks to all of you that send feedback and suggestions and questions. It's really, really important to me to get your feedback. It energizes me. It makes me want to carry on doing these interviews. I mean, it's energizing enough to do the interviews, but having your feedback too is like the icing on the cake. So head over to catskeely.com and sign up to the Humans Leading Humans newsletters and obviously connect to us on our social channels. And if you want to know more about the Beep leadership programs, head to www.wearebeep.com because basically those programs are designed to help all leaders become more imaginal. Enough of that. Dear listeners, let me introduce you to Debbie Vervangus. Debbie Vervangus, I am so, so, so pleased to introduce you to my lovely listeners. Listeners, as always, how did I meet Debbie? Well, Sophie Devonshire, who is genuinely one of my favorite people in the universe and who is the CEO of the Marketing Society, who, of course, we're doing this podcast in partnership with, introduced me to this incredible woman called Sophia. Sophia then said, you have to meet Debbie. So I'm in a room in IBM with Debbie and the room is cluttered with real her. This is definitely no corporate room. And we talk at each other and finish each other's sentences. And within about 10 seconds, I'm thinking this woman is 100% imaginal leader. So that, Debbie, is why you've been invited to be a guest on Humans Leading Humans. Yeah. In time honored ritual, just to make sure that the people in the audience understand why they should be listening to your experience. What have you done? Not who you are, because who you are is this incredible, energetic, motivating woman. What have you done? Firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's just such a joy to be here. I mean, I just, 
uh, when you invited me and I looked at the other list of your uh, attendees, I was, you know, there's my first insights. It's like, oh, what am I doing on this list? But it's it's just fantastic to be here. So what do I do? What do I do now is I help companies, teams, enterprises rapidly achieve business goals, that whatever it is they seek. And, and the key word there for me is rapid, right? Speed is the essential and elusive commodity that few articulate, but everybody needs. But of course, speed on its own is not enough. It has to be meaningful. It has to be measured. It has to be purposeful. And so delivering real impact to businesses is what I do. And I've worked with incredible teams and together we've built something called IBM Garage, which is our way of transforming our clients' outcomes, which we're doing, but also working to make collaborative, iterative, outcome-focused, user-centric approach, the fundamental way that work gets done across IBM. And that, of course, is hugely exciting. So uh, that's what I do. And remind me again, how old is IBM and how big is IBM? Oh, well, IBM is, you know, over well over 100 years old now. It currently, you know, is, is you know, several hundred thousand people. We're in the process of doing the final step of a separation from our infrastructure business. But even when that's done, we are a couple of hundred thousand people that are remaining delivering services, AI, hybrid cloud and a whole range of other things to the world. And one of the things we've talked about before is actually by doing change inside these kind of complex, uh, amorphous, strange, often political bureaucratic, doing change inside these platforms, you're doing change for at least the 200,000 people inside your organization, you're making their lives better, let alone the people that you're touching and giving new tools to on the outside. Anyway, enough of me. Thank you very much for introducing yourself. So, Debbie, I sent you the CREATE framework and said, I want you to tell three short snackable stories of how you have created environments in which humans have or have not thrived. What is your story number one? Okay. So when I, and I knew this interview was coming up and, and yes, because I'm a good girl guy doing my prep, there were two thoughts in my head. Having listened to much of the series and Mr. Tempson was my favorite. Um, I wanted to not just repeat so much of the goodness that I'd heard. So I wanted to kind of come up with some new stories some different insights. My other challenge that I wrestled with was that I feel like my whole career and the journey that I've been on has been a constant evolution. So you'll have to forgive me if my stories are groupings of things rather than single moments my first story then is about owning it and my stories are all about embodying the behaviors that I want to see and I want to be able to create in the world around me you know be the change I want to see so a little context for you I joined IBM straight out of university. I am what I like to call an accidental lifer with a pharmacology and biochemistry degree and absolutely zero IT skills. When I was at school, yes, I know I don't look a day over 25, but IT wasn't a thing. My first, you know, I've got an O-level in secretarial studies, for goodness sake, right? <laughs> and my, my first day at IBM, I was sat in a windowless room in Manchester that was, you know, filled with men, all of whom had IT degrees. And they all talked about something called OO and C++ as if that was a normal language. And then somebody came in and gave us an overview of everything that IBM did. And the only line I remember to this day, 20 odd years on, the only thing I remember hearing was that IBM made AS400s and RS6000s. And some 20 years on, I still have no idea what those things are, right? And it was utterly bewildering and terrifying. And I thought, I have made a mistake 
This is not the company for me. And then I was assigned my first role. And of course, here was me, a grad with no, no clue what 99% of them was talking about. It was terrifying. I spent my whole time going, oh, God, somebody's going to find out that they shouldn't have given me this job. It's just a nightmare. And zero tech skills, but this huge amount of energy. And so they appointed me to an account. And I'm going to pull, I'm going to slow my speaking speed now right so they appointed me to an account when my first role was to reconcile timesheets I'm just gonna let that settle I remember the first day there sitting in a soulless office on my own right straight out of university in front of this enormous pile of paper and being told I had nine months in this room to reconcile this enormous pile of paper with the contract so that we could get paid And after my first day, I remember walking back to my flat and thinking, no way, no how did I spend all that time in the library, in the study, at those desks, doing to what felt like me, like glorified and incredibly boring admin. I was just lost this early in my career. And I'm faced with this huge hurdle that I have to overcome in terms of what am I doing? And I don't want to do this and I don't but I don't have the skills to do anything else. And so I realized I was, even at this early stage, I was faced with really important choice. I either just sucked this up, buckled down, did the job asked, learned what it had, hated it every day, and hoped that the next role would be better. Or, or, what was my or, right? Or I had to find another way to achieve the same outcome. Why was I there? I was there to reconcile timesheets. I wasn't there to spend nine months doing it. I was there to reconcile the timesheets. So how could I get that outcome done? And I bought a book. I bought a book in Microsoft Excel and I taught myself how to, you know, no IT skills, remember, no IT skills. I taught myself how to create a really fancy macro spreadsheet back in the day, you know, like the most basic of basic automation before automation wasn't a thing. Right. And I achieved the outcome that they wanted me to achieve in less than a fortnight. And made boom. myself totally, exactly, boom, it's my favorite expression, <laughs> boom, right? And, uh, and I made myself completely redundant. And that mindset of focus, you know, focusing on creating those outcomes to make yourself not needed as fast as possible is something that continues to stay with me. And so then I, th- I thought, okay, the outcome, the outcome is what matters here. And that's fantastic. And number two lesson that I learned from this was that if I wanted to stay at IBM, I was going to have to make it happen myself. I was going to, you know, the world of consulting isn't one where every stage and step is managed for you, right? It's a place where, you know, it can be really bewildering because you have to find your own opportunities, your own tribe, your own people. And, you know, I know nothing. I know nobody here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I thought, well, I've got to learn this IT stuff. So I bought another book. And this time, this is a long time ago, right? Before the age of offshore and when mainframes were still to be found. And so client server was the thing back then. And everybody wanted to work in object orientated in Java and all this cool, rapidly, you know, changing how customers interacted with customers. Really cool. But nobody was interested in the kind of back office stuff, the mainframes, the, you know, the databases. And I thought, maybe they'll give me a job there because nobody wants those jobs, right? And so... So I bought another book and I taught myself COBOL for dummies, right? And I get this job as this junior programmer on this huge program. And uh, yeah, uh, that was the start of my real career with IBM. And as you can imagine, I didn't stay developer for very long. You know, it's, it's not a natural fit for me. But I tried everything. I, it was the in that I needed, right? And it taught me invaluable experiences about how IT is done. And I did everything on this account from tests to environment management to requirements to business roles. And with each step, 
I took, each step I've made conscious choices of what I needed to learn, the people I wanted to work with, the environment I wanted to work within, and that would help me have a career and environment that I could grow within. And so I guess that's my insight one and something that I have continued to constantly think about is how do you create this environment where people can own their own careers? Don't answer questions for people, give them choices, you know, be the masters of your own destiny, make the connections, do the work, except maybe there are some steps that are not as exciting as others, but make every step meaningful and that it's taking you down the path that you want to be on. And then, of course, especially when you're in a complex organization, by diving into all of these different, slightly different skill sets, it gives you all of the different perspectives that you need to be able to zoom out and start going, well, where really are the opportunities? There's no way I could do now what I do if I hadn't done then what I did, right? It, they were all purposeful, intentional learnings to help me be able to do what I wanted to do. It was all in pursuit of where I am now, right? Which is being able to create this macro environment of transformation. For me, it was always about getting to a place of where I could change the world. 100% with you, sister. 100% with you. <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it? The, you know, I, you know I, I like you. People go, well, where did you get the courage to do that thing? And it's just because I could always see that things could be better. Yeah. I was going to find myself. What have I got to lose? What have I got to do? Okay, if I'd taken it and hadn't got the developer job, so be it. Then I could have maybe taken an alternative step and maybe I wouldn't be here having this interview with you. I had nothing to lose, right? <laughs> and everything to gain. So, you know, it makes you fearless sometimes. But um, yeah. Massive why. Got to go for it. And no why not. Exactly. Just, why not? Why not? Exactly. Why not? I, oh, thank you so much. Brilliant. Brilliant story number one. And I'm horripulating. So this is a good thing. Story number two, Zoe. Okay. <laughs> story number two is, and I know this is a theme that has come up before, right? I've called it be yourself and do what you love, right? Because it's such an easy thing to say. Be yourself. Be authentic. Bring your whole self to work. And all your other guests have talked to this at some point, and I know it's reflected ultimately in your create framework, right? But those two words, be yourself, are incredibly complicated to actually do, right? For all sorts of reasons, they make us vulnerable, they make us human, they make us all of the things that we talk about. But what happens, I find, is that our brains kick in and we overthink. We worry about whether we can do this or do that. And above all, and for me, this has often been at the heart, right? Above all, we want to feel like we fit like we belong, that these are our people. And that sense of fitting gives us both comfort and security. And we're often incredibly prepared as human beings to adapt in order that we fit. It's a basic human need, right? The trouble is that we adapt, adjust, and ultimately what we think is needed to fit. And there are two problems with that, right? What we think is often not right and needing to fit is is, is really the wrong thought process, right? And it's the wrong conclusion. And almost always the right approach, the better outcome would have been achieved faster if we were just able to be ourselves. But that's a skill. And there are two things we really need in order to be able to be ourselves. The first is we have to know ourselves, be really brutally honest with what we're good at, what we're not good at, what we should learn, what we should adjust for in other ways, what we should accommodate for, what we should accept that we're never going to be able to master and find other ways to bridge, right? And the second is then having the courage and the confidence to be true to that, to be honest about those things. And these are skills 
in and of themselves that take practice and support and you know encouragement and for me the passage of time over my career this has become an increasing priority not just for me but to create this environment for everybody around me and so back in the early days of my career I had a one-to-one with my career coach and by this point I'd already established myself for being little bit of a handful bucking the trend of doing things trying new things but always delivering those beautiful outcomes and I was about four years into my career and I was sat down and he said well you've clearly established yourselves with a set of skills for leadership and change and customers but we also noticed that swimming with the details is not something you excel at and so we'd like the next role for you to do is space to be a PMO lead. And that's, you know, basically asking to take on the role of commercial projects, you know, documentation management. It was details wall to wall. And I can't bring over to you. I mean, you can see me, but your lovely listeners cannot. Right? I can't bring over to you the face that I pulled at this suggestion. <laughs> Probably the face that I'm pulling right now. Just like, I mean, sort of somewhere between incredulity and horror. Right. And I knew in my bones that this suggestion was not for me, right? There was a view then, and I guess kind of still now, but less so, right? That that we must be jack of all, right? We have to be able to, you know, be not even jack of all, but experts in everything, right? An expert in industry, an expert in technology, an expert, you know. And while I get it, I was equally sure that I would never be good at something that that was when that was the entirety of my role. And without a heartbeat, I turned this down flat. In fact, I refused point blank to do it. It was uh, not a popular choice, but there we are. And I knew there would be other ways for me to bridge those gaps. So I took myself along. So thank you. I can find my next job myself. And I knew that detailed work wasn't just for me. Right. And having it just it makes my brain go to absolute good. Right. I've done Myers-Briggs. And in all the years of my career, Myers-Briggs is the you know, is one of the many things I've really anchored on and really learned so much about myself doing this process. Right. And I understood I am the kind of person who's almost exclusively motivated by giving the, the, the challenge of the task, right? The outcome. What is the outcome you want me achieved? As, as you know, give me the flexibility and the creativity and the space, you know, to do it my way as a leader. Don't tell me how you want me to do it. Just tell me what it is you want me to achieve and roughly how long I've got to get it done. And then let me go do my thing, right? And find my team and, you know, bring all this fantastic results. And those lessons have stayed with me throughout my entire career. And so then wind the clock forward many years. I'm in the process of going for partner, a huge occasion for anybody in their career, a big momentous occasion, right? Becoming an executive, you know, being an executive in and of itself wasn't something that I was bothered by. I've never been, status has never really been my thing, but I wanted to be able to shape always bigger agendas. And this was part of the journey. And it was at this point when another incredibly well-meaning, right, existing partner took me aside and sat down and said, that I should think seriously about being a partner. And when I asked them why not, the answer was, well, Debbie, because you are not capable of behaving like a middle-aged white guy. Now, I know you'll be drawing a deep breath of shock. (laughs) He genuinely thought he was trying to help me. His version of the truth was that in order to be successful here, you needed to behave. You needed to work a certain way. You needed to communicate a certain way. And his heart was ultimately in the right place. But as you can imagine, right, this was a moment of real clarity for me. This that the fact that I didn't fit was exactly why I was going for partner. I knew it would potentially be difficult and I knew I'd potentially look like the odd one out in terms of style and thoughts and attitudes and approaches and the way I managed my team and, you know, the level of trust I empowered and all these things. But that was why. 
because I wanted to create a place where anyone could fit without having to adjust. I was never more motivated in my career to show not just him, but all of IBM, that because I was different was why I was promoted. And if I could do it, then so could anybody, right? And so then my last little sub story to this point is that I found the best way to encourage authenticity in others is to really embrace it yourself. Right. And as a leader, that becomes actually more hard to do. Right. Because you think you have to have a certain persona as a leader. You have to, you know, look impenetrable and unflappable. And, you know, you're never angry and you're never upset. You're just this measured, calm leader. And of course, we all aspire to be that. Right. But I can't be anything other than myself. And being real is something that everybody I found in my career can resonate with you. And so if you can be honest about your stories and your lives and your passions and your fears, it really helps. And so I'm going to read to you this note because I know this isn't just me that resonates with authenticity. I sent this note in 2018 to all of the part of IBM I was leading at the time. Uh, And in all my career, it is this note that has the most phenomenal response, right? Literally thousands of replies telling me their stories, sharing their moments, right? And so if you'll indulge me, let me read you this email. Hey, everybody. It's late afternoon and I'm sitting enjoying the sunshine and the quiet in my garden. I have had a super chilled weekend doing my old lady hobby of gardening. I've been for a run and a swim and I've spent a lot of time with my friends. I'm relaxed, unwound, refreshed because the reality is life is pretty hectic for me, for you and for all of us. And sometimes it's pretty stressful too. So it's essential that we have ways to manage our stress. I talked last week about looking after your whole self and I meant every word, gardening, laughing, sleeping, exercise, hanging with friends and therapy. Yes, I regularly go to therapy. I regularly talk to other people. It helps me get everything off my chest and is another vital theme in my stress management. And as Mental Health Awareness Week draws to a close, I want to ask you all to think about this. What do you do to manage stress? How do you stay chilled? Whatever works for you is the right answer. But please make sure you think about it and do it. Talking is good. Therapy is not a dirty word. Support is essential. There are lots of places to get support if you want it. And if you're in any doubt and you need somebody to talk to, then just reach out. So go for a run, have a beer with friends, sleep late, watch a movie, sit in the sun, swim, dance, read stories to your children, hug someone you care about and talk. Do whatever wonderful combination you need to do to feel as I do right now as I share my thoughts in the basking sun with my feet up, content, peaceful and calm with love always. And I shared that literally because it, you know, thousands of replies sharing their stories. And so it was just a moment of put yourself out there and be real and you'll get real back. Wow. Brought tears to my eyes because, you know, you expect I was just talking to somebody about this earlier. You expect to get a certain sort of communication from executives. And internal comms people are quite rigid about, oh, they will never, ever send that out or they would never read that. It's nonsense. We're all humans. And I think I'm just imagining, because I always say to people, don't think about what you're trying to tell people in the comms. Imagine how they're going to receive that information. How must they have received that information? I know, just <gasps> sitting reading that. Oh, my that. God. just I go to therapy. I mean, yeah. that is as authentic as you get, isn't it? And I think the other thing that really resonated with what you were saying is the fact that change agents, um, I'm going to go to be a partner, I'm going to prove that you can be different and be a partner. That's exactly why 
change agents need to find each other. Absolutely. Find our own tribe. And and also just, you know, stop looking to make round pegs for round holes. Let's just accept that holes come in all, you know, dinosaur shapes and heart shapes and star shapes. And, you know, let's just all be our wonderful weirdos. And that's not always easy, but you've done it. It isn't always easy. Debbie, love it, love it, love it. Um, Story number three, please, Debbie. Story number three called Be Bold, Make Yourself Uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, this is my last story, though. I think I could sit here with you cats for hours all afternoon just remembering. Um, but this is about being bold enough to push some brownies. Not blindly, I don't advocate for that, but in pursuit of your outcomes, right? And so I'm going to tell you a bit of a story now about, you know, so, and sometimes those bold moments can change everything, right? After I came back from my second baby, I was brought into an account with a very, and I was given a really different role, right? to grow the business in new places. That's That was my brief, right? And I remember looking incredulously at the person that gave me this job and thinking, what are you doing? That's not what I do. I do delivery. And he waved me away with his hand and said, well, oh, but you're very good at people. You'll figure it out. Credit to him. That was not his natural style to be so open and so vague with what he wanted. But he clocked really early that that would be the way to motivate me, right, was to just give me this brief, right? And so here I am running around this huge account looking for ways to create new opportunity, build new relationships. And I found one, right? I found some new relationships and I was blessed enough to be able to get some fantastic traction with this part of the client. And as a result from doing some initial great work, we were asked to pitch as their new partner for this digital transformation journey they were about to go on and at least try and road test it. And in IBM, there's a process for IBM, there's a process for everything, right? But that involves getting support, funding, teams aligned, all that good stuff. So I went and asked and got told, no, no, you can't pitch for this, right? And you have to understand this was an opportunity that had been shaped by our biggest competition who definitely expected to win this work it had an insane turnaround time of less than a week and six out of the eight I think of the stakeholders that were making the decision were x from this competition right although they were now in this client they were once from that company and so the odds just looked you know it looked unwinnable which is why you know everybody said no it's not the one to go for but I had this I had this feeling in my bones, cats. You, you, you ever watched The Matrix, right? And there's this moment in The Matrix where at the towards the end, when Neo's gonna go and save Morpheus, and, and he says, I believe I can save him. Even though it just looked ridiculous. It looked like there's just no way you can do that. He knew he could save Morpheus. I am being trite with the Hollywood analogy, but you get the moment, right? I knew I had that similar sensation. I had this feeling in my bones that this wasn't impossible, but we could win this. And so we sat in a little huddle in the corner of a sticky room and and for five days and we, you know, and we all needed a shower by the end of the week and we submitted our response and here's the kicker not only had we got them responding to the deal when we were told that there was no point in doing so but we went all in we challenged the client we dreamed big and we shared that vision we poked holes in their thinking and we threw caution to the wind about the way we would deliver and went all in on users and value and collaboration right this is and who'd have thunk it right we go on to win 
And you might be asking yourself with this story, well, what is the so what of that? You know, so what? People win deals all the time and, you know, make little brave choices. And But here's the thing, Kat, right? Because we didn't just win that deal, right? That deal changed the whole trajectory, not just of my career, but the environment across IBM, right? Because we didn't just win it. We smashed it, right? We won the work. And in, in a quarter, we'd wowed the work, we scaled the work across the client's enterprise and we went on to build this model that we'd built originally in those crazy few days with this incredible client that we iterated and learned together. And then we took that model to other clients and found it equally as successful there. And IBM Garage for Transformation and Services was born. And now here we are a few heady years later, positioning Garage as the primary way our clients experience us and changing how IBM delivers across 150 or 1,000 people or more for its clients forever. And it started with that one moment of being bold. Debbie, what a fantastic story. And the most, okay, so then I'm thinking of similar experiences in my career where I'm not getting any real um, decision being made by my boss and I know there's a thing I know in my gut that this thing needs to happen and I've gone ahead and done it how did the people who said no react when you went back to them and went hey guys we won yeah well you know neither I nor they focused on the fact that they had guided me not to respond to this opportunity It's just like, I've got some amazing news. We won this deal and it was just brilliant. And, and I'm all in on that, right? I'm all in on that, right? And, and, and it was a bit like the other. I had nothing to lose, really. My time was what I was investing and my, the team's time. And, you know, but they were as all in as I was. And it was just, it was the most fantastic experience. And it was such fun as well to do it. It was, you know, you really felt like you were breaking ground and doing some cool stuff. You know, it's, it, I, you know, I've listened to Carol and Isabel and Julie and now you, and it's so easy to think that there is a corporate creature. Yeah. You have to be this to do that. And the truth of the situation is exactly the opposite. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to be absolutely not that. You have to go, my gut is telling me that this thing needs to be done. I'm going to take a risk because what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Exactly, exactly. And 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 always, you know, being yourself, being yourself. And if you put that, you know, as I said, if you can put those things out there, you will get them back. And if you will, I know, I was only allowed three stories, but if you will just give me a moment to tell one more tiny little story about how it's two ways, right? So everybody's life has bumps in the road and, you know, ups and downs and hardships. And it's not a, it's not a hidden, and it's certainly very well-known piece of data in, in uh, where I work is that uh, you know five, four years ago now five years ago now I lost my daughter and she was four at the time and obviously this is an incredibly difficult emotional thing for me to go through but I was unable to be anything other than incredibly open about the fact that I was going through this journey with my colleagues with my boss with my boss's boss's boss I mean I was just super open about the fact that this thing was happening and this thing was incredibly hard to deal with Uh, you know I made you know I was crying in the office you know all these things were happening on a regular basis and then when, when she passed without any prompting without anything from me 
almost the entire IBM decided that they wanted to, and again, it started with a few small people, they decided they wanted to do something to remember her, even though they'd never met her, who was just, you know, my daughter. My daughter was really keen on Disney. And so, and so they they decided to create, I mean, to create this charity in her name. And so they decided to, to run to Florida, to run to Disney World. And so we had, they created this whole event and, and uh, you know, with the princess run. And we ran collectively all of us and there were teens in india like hundreds of people i met i've never met and to this day i've never met like running with these t-shirts on that say you know I'm, you know i'm running for princess you know and all this stuff and you know the bosses and you know and all you know, the teams around the world and all these incredible people just leaning in running we had treadmills in the studio you know for, i did a client meeting while running on the spot so i could get my five miles in a day right and in three days you know, we ran, and it's just, you know, there were a few people that did that. And, and then, a th- you know, thousands of people got involved and and all to support me. And I've never felt more supported. And the result of that was this intrinsic loyalty that will be, will always be there for me. It's a beautiful story. And I can't thank you enough for sharing it in this context. And that's the power. I mean, the other option would have been, I'm a corporate creature. You don't bring your life into work. You definitely don't cry at work. That's <laughs> confusing for everybody. I know. And look what happens. You've got the whole company going, look, we're together on this. Yeah, and supportive. And to IBM's credit, it, it isn't just me. They've, I've seen them do that over and over again. You, know, you be real. You put yourself out there and, you know, they want to put their arms back around you. And I just that's the <sighs> company I'm proud to work for. Thank you so much for for that. Three stories, every single one of them I've learned from resonated with me. You are 100% Imaginal Leader. I'm so glad that I know you and that you're part of my extended tribe of people who want to change the world. The last thing to do, what do you want to call this episode of Humans Leading Humans? I think we should call it Being Authentic Starts With Yourself. Being authentic starts with yourself. Debbie Vivangas, I can't thank you enough. Have an amazing day. Have an amazing weekend. And It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Debbie, I can't thank you enough. I feel really humbled every week to find myself in a position where People like you feel safe to share these authentic, really personal stories. It just makes me feel humbled and I learn so much from it and I'm inspired. So listeners, it really doesn't matter whether you are a CMO or a CGO. It doesn't matter what C you are or a senior director or a VP or an SVP. Doesn't matter as a leader, and we all have to be leaders sometimes, Your job is one thing and one thing only. Set up the environments in which humans can thrive. Make them feel safe, care. Give them permission to be able to innovate and take initiative. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You have been listening to humans leading humans towards the future of work that works for people. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. If you're a leader, 
and you need the know-how and the networks to succeed and you're not already a member, get over to their website and become part of that tribe. I would 100% recommend it. A massive thanks to the fantastic Super Terrania for the magical sting of stings. Go to wearebeep.com to find out more about the CREATE framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem-solving potential of humans if you love this podcast, pass it on to your friends, pass it on to your colleagues. We all need a shot of inspiration and energy. We can change the world together. Thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe. The links are in the notes. Be inspired. Be imaginal. Be more human. See you next week. Mm -hmm.